Jimmy's Table. Hey everybody, you're listening to the Jimmy's Table podcast, jimmystable.com. I'm your host, Jimmy Humphrey, where I like to have conversations about faith, life, culture, and sometimes food. So today's episode 82 of the jimmystable.com podcast, and I want to just take a, a moment and ask you, who is your daddy and what does he do? But before we do that, I want to go ahead and play a clip from the movie Kindergarten Cop, in which Arnold Schwarzenegger is an undercover police officer who's gone back to elementary school in order to be a kindergarten teacher, in order to try to find the bad guy. And as part of his quest to find the bad guy, he starts asking the kids some probing questions. And I thought this was a pretty hysterical clip. If you don't remember it, I think you will enjoy it. Um, but here is Arnold Schwarzenegger interrogating kindergartners about who their daddy is and what they do for a living. You tell me, who is your daddy and what does he do? Get it? Okay, we start right here. You. My dad repairs red cars driven by women who have pinheads. My dad doesn't do anything since the crash. My dad gives money to people that doesn't have money. And then people use that money. And then they give other money back and they give the same amount of money back to my dad. My dad doesn't live with us anymore. He lives in New York and drives a taxi. My mom hopes he's going to die real soon. My dad watches TV all day long. My dad works on computers, and he's um, the boss of his company. And um, he has a mustache and a beard. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He doesn't have that much hair, and he... His head is so big that he can't wear any hats. Our sense of identity is probably one of the most powerful things that we have about ourselves, our self-conception, what we think about ourselves, who we are, what we're about, what we do, and all that fun stuff. And our sense of identity is often built, though, not so much on what's happening on the inside, but a lot of what's happening on the outside. And that kind of starts happening at a young age. We, we start building a sense of identity out of who our parents are because who our parents are seems like a very much a reflection of us in many ways. And we look to our parents and, and that makes us feel certain things about ourselves. And, you know, kids, uh, they sit there and think about what their parents do for a living and that gives them a sense of importance a sense of status of where they are in the world and and all of that fun psychological stuff. Uh, and it's no wonder then at an early age, if you can harken back to the days of your childhood on the playground, that uh, kids start picking on other kids about who their parents are. And they, they take a great sense of pride over that or, or sometimes even a, a sense of shame. Um, I can remember so many times as a kid, uh, n never directed at my parents that I can remember, but I can remember other kids on the playground talking about other kids' parents, like, yo mama is so fat, your daddy is this, uh, your mama is that. And, you know, a lot of kids took that really personally. Uh, they would get upset, um, and there was probably no shortage of 
you know, schoolyard fights <laughs> that started as a direct result of somebody talking smack about somebody else's parents, be it their mom, their dad, their grandparents, or whoever. Um, because in many ways, folks felt like if you were saying something bad about uh, their parent, well, that must be a reflection on them. There must be something wrong with me if there is something wrong with my mom or my dad who I love. Um, and likewise, kids who felt like maybe they had the upper hand, whose parents were successful, whose parents were prominent, whose parents were wealthy, whose parents had great jobs, you know, they had a, a way of being able to look down at other kids because they felt a sense of importance about themselves <laughs> as a result of their parents' success. Um, and, you know, it's kind of interesting to see how that sort of identification doesn't quite go away, though, even as we grow up. Uh, it just rather transfers to other things. And I've often seen it, especially in the political arena or even in the religious arena, you start talking smack about somebody's favorite preacher, like Stephen Verdick or T.D. Jakes or, or whatever your local pastor is. Or somebody starts talking smack about Donald Trump or Barack Obama or somebody else in the public eye that you strongly identify with. And, and we kind of take it personal. Um, I was not too long ago having a conversation with one of my family members in which I was kind of chiding their beloved politician for kind of being something of adult and uh, kind of an idiot. And I'm not going to name the name, um, but I will say that person took it very personally. And they said, you know, Jimmy, when you say that about so-and-so, it makes it feel like you think that about me too because... I support that person, and I vote for that person. I'm going to vote for them in the upcoming election. So for you to sit there and chide them makes, you f makes me feel like you're actually chiding me. And I kind of find that so interesting that we do things like that, that we get this sense of identity from our parents as a, as a, as a young child or even our favorite celebrity preacher or politician or, or what have you, that, that even though we grow up... <laughs> We don't really outgrow these games. Um, and, and I think maybe our attachment to certain political or religious figures often has something to do with our own sense of self and who we are. Because if the person who we've put stock in, be it our parents, our preacher, or our politician, turns out to be somebody kind of lowly and shady and somebody that's not really held in respect or esteem... We take it personally and sit there and think, well, if you think that, that my parents are bad or my preacher is bad or my politician is bad, then you're thinking that about me. Um, and so, of course, we take it personal. And so we, we start getting campy and start getting tribal and, you know, kind of to build a little bubble of protection about us, we start forming and co uh, coalescing ourselves into tribes and political factions and religious factions and all that sort of stuff. But these identity games aren't just about people. You know, we, 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 we take it about not only people, of course, but we search for our identity in other places. As we get older, we start finding identity in music and our favorite bands. Uh, you know, who doesn't take pride that they, uh, you know, were a Black Sabbath fan and to the scorn of a Miley Cyrus fan, you know? <laughs> well, if you like pop music, if you like that Miley Cyrus garbage, you know, there is something wrong with you. Um, but, you know, me, I have 
real taste in music. I listen to Black Sabbath, or I listen to, uh, maybe Black Sabbath's too extreme, uh, good old Ozzy Osbourne, maybe he's a little bit extreme for some of you, uh, or maybe he predates you depending on who you are. Um, but, you know, you know how it is, the, the games, music people play, uh, where, or you, you get somebody who's kind of artsy-fartsy, and they take pride in liking the movies or music that nobody else has ever heard of. Um, and something that's really artistic and something that's not popular and something that not a lot of people are into. They, they take a, a place of pride in that and they identify with that and that becomes their thing. Or think about cars. As we get older, you know, we start thinking about all the cool cars and, that we want and, and we take pride in driving cars of a, of a higher caliber. Um, and the be- bigger and better the car, the more expensive it is, the, the better we esteem ourselves and think others esteem us as well. Um, the same thing with our peers. We, we think about our peers and nobody wants to be caught sitting at the loser's section of the cafeteria in school. I can say that as somebody who sat at the loser section of the cafeteria in school. <laughs> you want to be sitting with all the cool kids and, you know, you go to try to sit with some of the cool kids at lunch and they shun you and you kindly start gravitating towards the not-so-cool kids that, uh, you know, all the social pariahs and rejects and people who are a little socially inept at that age, uh, you start finding yourself kind of hanging with them. Yeah, that was kind of me when I was when I was younger. But I'm cool now, so I'm over it. <laughs> um, no, no, I, I am not cool. Uh, or think about sports teams. Think about all the die-hard Alabama college football fans that are out there. People who've never even graduated high school take great pride uh, in the fact that they are Alabama fans or Auburn fans or you know state fans or Carolina fans and, and, and all that sort of stuff. We take great pride in our sports teams. Um... We take great pride in our careers, you know, to sit there and say, oh, I'm a mailroom clerk at a uh, law firm, you know, is not nearly as uh, impressive to people as being able to say, oh, I'm a lawyer or I'm a doctor or I'm a this or I'm a that. And then ordering our lives according to the employment uh, that we have obtained in our station of life. Um, so not only are you a lawyer or a doctor, but you have to live where all the other lawyers and doctors live, and you have to drive all the other cars that lawyers and doctors drive, no matter how much you are deeply in debt, uh, up to, you know, in debt up to your eyeballs with student loans and, and business loans and all that sort of stuff so you can run your practice. But at the end of the day, you're just like, oh my gosh, I can barely make it uh, just like the guy who lives paycheck to paycheck. But you have the status symbols, right? You have the things that build up your identity. Um, or think about the person who li- hires a lawyer. You don't want to hire the, uh, you better call Saul type lawyer who shows up uh, in his car that he uh, looks like he has 300,000 miles on and bought in 1974, do you? Uh, instead, you, wanna sh- you want the lawyer who shows up uh, driving the BMW or the Mercedes or the Bentley. You don't want a lawyer who, you know, is representing you in court because if your lawyer you know, shows up in a beater, you feel like you're going to get about that level of service in court. Um, so, you know, it's amazing all these games we play, no matter how much older we get when it comes to these sort of things. 
And we, it even gets a little bit more personal than that, especially in a day and age in which we talk greatly about our intersectional demographic type qualities, in which we talk about uh, sexual identity and gender and uh, all that sort of stuff, race, uh, who we're attracted to, who we're not attracted to. All those things become huge um, statues, if you will, huge idols that sort of direct our lives. And we look unto those idols, um, those things that give us this sense of identity and purpose and vision for our life as, as being the determining factor of who we are as people in life. And if somebody starts tipping our sacred cow and somebody starts tipping our idol over, we get a little bit high strung. Uh, and we start getting extremely defensive because we've attached who we are as a person to this, this concept or this material thing. Um, and we find ourselves not before long dividing ourselves into little factions with other people who have similar identities. And we kind of take up the mantra of Hamlet, uh, as Shakespeare said in Hamlet, to thy own self be true. And we figure that's all we're doing. We're just trying to be ourself, who we feel like we are deep down inside. Um, and that sense of self becomes the overarching narrative and dominant thing that tells us who we are as a person um, and shapes everything that we do um, from the moment we wake up to the moment our pillow or our head hits the pillow at night. Our sense of self drives us, it shapes us, it molds us, um, and we become the thing that we envision in our head, the thing that we have set before our eyes, the thing that we think is associated with being that which we identify with. And I don't know about you, but for me, I kind of feel exhausted with all that. <laughs> it is exhausting trying to be true to my own self. And it's exhausting watching other people do it. Uh, you see this with artists all the time. This, this tortured artist who's just trying to get himself on uh, his you know, canvas. Or the, 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 the chef who is just trying to put himself on a plate and, and to cook. Uh, something that reflects what he is and what he represents. Um, or this individual who's trying to climb the corporate ladder because, well, you know, the expectations that they had placed on them as a child or what they think that they want out of life. And, and you know, the, the ability to say, I'm a boss, I'm a manager, I'm a CEO, I'm an executive, I'm, you know, I'm somebody important around here. Um, and... How much of our life is built around all that stuff? How much of our friends' and family's lives are built around that stuff? It's, it's really the, the thing that we obsess with constantly in our culture. If, if, if you had to say that anything in our generation that, that we are obsessed with as Americans in the 21st century, living in 2020 land, um, it's our sense of self. And it's just become something that we are just constantly uh, inundated with and it's something that we're constantly at the end of the day I think you know that people just play to 
um, and it, it, it you know, demands how other people treat us. Just think about your interactions with others on social media um, or something of that nature. Or think of how Coca-Cola markets to you or how a bank markets to you. You know, they're always playing with this sense of who you are as a person. Facebook shows you the things that Facebook thinks you want to see. Google shows you the search results that Google thinks you want to see. Coca-Cola sells you uh, an experience uh, with a drink that they think you want to ultimately experience. Everything is becoming about you at the end of the day and who you are as a person. And while I think there can be some good things about that, and there is some good things about having a strong self-identity and people treating you and with respect and regard to however you identify in life, I think it's also kind of a dangerous place. Because what happens when all of a sudden you lose the job? Or what happens when all of a sudden your beliefs about yourself and the world that you live in are no longer politically fashionable? What happens when all of a sudden the, your favorite band and the members of that band break up? Um, what happens when all of a sudden people no longer need the services that you are trying to offer as a professional? What happens when your political party is no longer in power? <laughs> you know, all these things, you know, we, we wrap ourselves up in these things. And when all of a sudden those things get tested, when all of a sudden those things get tried by fire, when all of a sudden those little intersectional qualities and demographics and characteristics um, turn something and it turned out to be something a little bit poisonous. Um, it really puts you in a precarious spot and threatens who you are existentially. It threatens who you are as a person. And it makes it questionable whether or not you will be able to go on um, as a person. Or whether or not you will be able to truly adapt to the changing situations and I will tell you from experience, I will tell you from having seen it with others, that when who we feel like we are as people is threatened by others, a lot of people don't adapt so well. And a lot of people ultimately crumble. And that's because our sense of self, our sense of identity, of, of who we are, has become so um, just the dominant theme of our culture and our psyche that we can't ever imagine and have a hard time imagining being other than what we are um, or what we think we are. Um, and our ability to adapt and continue on into whatever new stream of life we might be thrown into, um, it becomes sort of something that puts us in jeopardy and threatens our very existence. You know, at the end of the day, I find a lot of this kind of nauseating and childish. We're kind of like babies who've just discovered that we have fingers and toes and can't help but shove them in our own mouth. <laughs> and, you know, all that sort of self-identification and exploration and sense of who we are might have been cute when we were one year old and we were like, hey, I can get these toes into the back of my throat. <laughs> 
Um, let me suck on them for a little bit and see what they taste like and what I think of them. You know, that might have been cute when we were kids. But I think it's, it can be very deadly as we get older and literally deadly. There are people who will literally commit suicide um, when their sense of self is shattered. And so we get defensive about it. And we get to the point where we start weaponizing our sense of identity. We start standing up and saying, oh, I am white, or I am black, or I am Democrat, or I am Republican, or I am rich, or I am poor, or I am gay, and I am straight. And we start saying all these things, and we use them to start taunting and festering and poking and prodding and pushing other individuals into accepting who we are as individuals um, to embrace us for all of us, uh, no matter how right or no matter how wrong we are about our sense of identity and what we do for a living and our race and our gender and our sexuality and, and all that stuff. Um, we just start, you know, We've become obsessed with them like small children who never quite grow out of sucking on the toes or the thumb. Um, we've just changed them for new toes and new thumbs, um, except we're, we're a little bit more sophisticated about it at the end of the day. So we weaponize our qualities. Um, and I, I think that's uh, a tragedy, especially since we live in a culture that loves to talk of egalitarian ideals. And in reality, we're really not so egalitarian by nature or heart. You know, we love our little factions and we love tokenisms. <laughs> you know, um, and I see this, you know, really in, in, in corporate America. I see this in politics. Uh, you know, they, corporate America and, and political, you know, individuals, they love to create ads geared towards their specific tribes. They love to say, oh, you know, um, we love giving loans to minorities or, you know, we love celebrating, uh, you know, with this race or that race or this sexuality and that sexuality and to the exclusion of others, Um you know, we love moms or we love dads and, you know, just all these things. And it just starts to just drive me kind of bonkers because at the, at the end of the day, we're not egalitarian. We're very factitious and we love placating people and pandering to people based off those factions and divisions and those tribes and those nationalities and those senses of identity. We say we value diversity, but, you know, it comes out to when we say we value a diversity, we just mean we, we love hiring certain groups and meeting certain quotas. Because at the end of the day, that makes us look so good, doesn't it? It makes us look like a brand that can be supported. It makes us look like a political party that you want to have something to do with, right? It's all madness. It's all madness and insanity. Um, and, and I think that we are on this sort of cycle that we are in and we see the divisions and factions that we do in America and in the church 
and all other areas of life, political, religious, and non-religious, even when it comes to children's sports. <laughs> are you a house league player or are you a travel team player? Um, and, you know, all that goes into all those things. We want to ground our identity into all sorts of stuff, all sorts of externalities, all sorts of things that other people can see. And it really just, we might not have much in the way of physical idolatry these days as far as like people bowing before statues and worshiping the statues. But metaphorically, symbolically, I would submit to you we have and all these sort of identity crisis games that we play with one another, um, a soft sort of symbolic idolatry that still commands our culture and our sense of purpose as individuals just as strongly as any idol that the Romans used to demand people bow before. And I think that's why, at the end of the day, God wants to free us from the tyranny of self that it's not to thine own self be true, that should be our motto. Um, but instead of our identity being and our sense of self and the sense of self that comes from our culture and our little tokens, our little idols, that ultimately our sense of identity needs to be grounded in the fact that you and I are created in the image and likeness of God. And it is in the image and likeness of God. It is from the mouth of God himself that you and I are to find our sense of identity and purpose. It's to him that we're supposed to ultimately look. In Colossians 3 verses 10 and 11, it says, Put on the new self who's being renewed to a true knowledge according to the image of the one who created him, a renewal in which there is no distinction between Greek and Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian or Scythian, slave or free man, but Christ is all and in all. And until we can start seeing that Christ is all, Christ is Jew and Greek, Christ is circumcised and uncircumcised. Christ is barbarian and Scythian. Christ is sl slave and free man. Christ is all and in all. Until we see the nature of the divine imprinted upon all of us, we'll continually be slaves to all these other externalities. And we'll be slaves and destroyed by the very things that we subtly, secretly worship. And that we can only find true freedom. True freedom not, is not to be found in your sense of self from all the externalities. But your true sense of freedom is to be found in who Jesus Christ created you to be in him. As an image bearer of God. And until we see ourselves as image bearers of the divine, then we're going to be always in jeopardy of destroying ourselves by worshiping ourselves. So everybody, this has been Jimmy Humphrey, episode 82. Who is your daddy and what does he do? 
hope I've given you something to chew on, something to think about, especially in these kind of tumultuous times that we've been living in, in which there's been all sorts of political divisions, social divisions, religious divisions, and all that fun stuff. If you've enjoyed this podcast, be sure to subscribe, jimmystable.com. You can go there, jimmystable.com slash subscribe will give you all the different ways you can subscribe, be it through Apple, Spotify, Stitcher, uh, or whoever you may be using to listen to this podcast. Um, you can check me out on Facebook and uh, Stitcher. Um, I'm sorry, Facebook and Twitter. You can find me at all sorts of other places that I can be found. Just go to jimmystable.com and you will find me. You can email me, jimmy at jimmystable.com. Tell me your thoughts about yourself. (laughs) Uh, Tell me your thoughts about your identity. And be sure, if you can leave a podcast review out there, please be sure to go to places like Apple and leave your five-star reviews. I will say, I recently got my first one-star review on my Apple um, review list for my podcast. And I was like, wow, it only took a year and a half (laughs) in order to get that first one-star review. All the reviews up to that point had been five-star reviews. So I got my first one and I'm just like, wow, I'm really surprised I didn't get one-star reviews so much sooner in life, right? (laughs) Uh, Because this podcast, of course, is not a professional production. It's just me in my home office uh, doing this sort of thing on the weekends. Uh, But, you know, I think I try to produce some good quality stuff, and I hope you guys enjoy it. So please, leave your five-star reviews. I welcome them. I cherish them. And it helps other people discover great content such as what you've been listening to today. So, everybody, again, this has been Jimmy Humphrey, Jimmy'sTable.com, where I'm having conversations about faith, life, culture, and sometimes food. Take care, everybody. God bless, and have a good one. Air smudge.